0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 92 of the Draft Advice, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe this is Chris Tripodi and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as always to break down what we saw during week eight of the college football season and what to watch for this upcoming weekend. The top five all represented with blowouts this week, but six ranked Wisconsin lost at Illinois and Tua Tagovailoa is down with another injury, although it shouldn't keep him out for the November 9th showdown with LSU more on the Tigers coming up here soon, but back to Tua quickly, Tony. Is his mounting injury history starting to become a concern?
1: Not yet. I mean, it's something to monitor moving forward. Obviously, he had injuries towards the end of last season. Now you've got another ankle injury last week. Um, you want to see what happens moving forward. See if you can play in the LSU game. See what happens towards the end of the season. I don't think it's a problem at all. If it continues to linger, it's obviously going to be a situation that teams will be talking about in pre-draft meetings in war rooms and things like that to make sure that it's not something that's persistent. And and I mean, even if it does have these injuries, remember, those combine medicals are very intense. Uh, They will pull on that joint. They will twist the joint. It's going to be MRI, everything. uh, And if there's an issue, they will find it out during combine medicals.
0: All right. Now we already teased LSU here. It was a slow start for the Tigers this past weekend in what was an eventual 36-13 win over Mississippi State. The offense was pretty out of sync early. It was 9-7, almost 20 minutes into the game. There were multiple drops by Jamar Chase. The Bulldogs were being pretty aggressive with their blitz packages. They're also mixing in some zone looks, and Joe Burrow was hesitant early in the game. Then a broken coverage, 60-yard touchdown, really opened the floodgates, some miscommunication on the back end. C.J. Morgan thought he had safety help from Jaquarius Landrews, who was playing single high. But either way, for almost a half, Tony, LSU's offense looked mortal. What did you see in those first 20 minutes?
1: I don't think that it was anything that Mississippi State did. I think that LSU stubbed their toes. I mean, they went down the field. I think they got three uh, field goals right away, and it was just a matter of of uh, LSU just being able to get in the end zone, which they did. I think they basically pushed uh, the uh, Mississippi State defense around. The Mississippi State defensive uh, team had some nice stats, uh, but they got pushed around. And then what happened was they could not respond on offense. They don't have a very good offense to to begin with. They got a a decent running back there. Uh, I'm not surprised. I think it was a matter of sooner or later, and it just happened later because – While LSU was able to score early in the game, they were not able to get the ball in the end zone.
0: Now, as you mentioned, LSU settled for field goals early, but they scored 27 points from the five-minute mark of the second quarter to the five-minute mark of the third quarter, so a 15-minute span. There were more miscommunications in the Mississippi State secondary. Brian Cole had a particularly tough time. He was playing over the slot receiver often, which happened to be Justin Jefferson, LSU's best receiver. You can argue Jamar Chase. Either way, it's just not a fair fight there for Cole. Jefferson finished with eight catches for 89 yards and a touchdown. But Cam Dantzler is the guy who's been really impressive this season. He was really impressive in this game. Kept Jamar Chase mostly in check. Only had five catches for 48 yards. Did have a touchdown. Dantzler had the speed to stay with Chase. He wasn't afraid to get physical. So it was a tough day for Cole. And parts of the rest of the Mississippi State defense It was the opposite for Dantzler.
1: Yeah, Dan's a big physical cornerback, and as I said last week when we previewed this game, there were some scouts that grade Danzler as a potential mid-first round choice. I don't think he showed himself to be a, a first round prospect in this game, but he, you know, he he definitely has the skill. He's got the size. Finished the game with seven tackles, broke up two passes, also had a half a sack and a half a tackle for loss. So it tells you something about the physicality of his game, of his game, his ability and willingness to get involved in the action. Decent ball skills. I think he's just got to uh, polish his game a little bit more, pull the pieces together, and you've got a potential starter at the all-important cornerback position for the next level. Brian Cole, I just saw a lot of stiffness. You know, people had told me that there were scouts in the area who were very high on Brian Cole. They liked him better than the uh, Aquarius Landrews. Cole did not impress me at all. I mean, his ability to flip his hips, his ability to transition. uh, I just saw a lot of late reacting, getting to the play late uh and he had 7 tackles but a lot of them were after the fact so uh you know maybe there there may be some scouts in the area that have uh, Cole uh rated higher than Landry's, but this was not one of Cole's better games
0: yeah he just couldn't react to receivers moves especially Jefferson Jefferson would make a cut and Cole would be about a split second late to even get with Jefferson and then he's not going to catch up i mean you can't be stuck in mud like that. And there were a lot of times where Cole really looked that way. And granted, he is a guy that we're going to look at more as a safety on the back end, but more and more these days in the NFL, those guys are coming up and covering the slot. You have to show that kind of ability. If you want to be any sort of an impact player at the next level. And I just didn't really see it with Cole. Like you,
1: I don't know if you want to be an impact player at the next level. If you want to go in the first four rounds of the draft, because your conventional downhill between the numbers, between the hashes, type safety, you know, are, are less and less valuable. Uh, you're a guy like that's really going to have to make it on special teams, which I'm sure we'll see. Cole in one of the postseason games, very good chance he shows up at the Senior Bowl, and as we know at the Senior Bowl, those one-on-one matchups, especially the safeties when they got to have to try and cover the receivers, those are all important. So uh, there's a chance for him to rebound, or there's a chance for him to go the other way.
0: Now moving out west for a Pac-12 matchup between Utah and Arizona State. We were specifically looking at Sun Devils wide receiver Brandon Ayuk against Utes cornerback Jalen Johnson, who we reported on last week's show, is likely to declare for the 2020 draft. In this game, Ayuk had one catch for seven yards, and it came on a screen pass. Jaden Daniels completed just four passes the entire game in what eventually was a 21-3 loss. Bradley and Ney, the defensive end for Utah, was highly disruptive. Three sacks pass break up on a blitz where he knew he wasn't going to get to the quarterback, got his hands up and got it on the ball. Pure dominance overall from Utah, but especially from that secondary. And we hyped that secondary preseason, but we also mentioned on a recent show that it had kind of struggled so far this year, not last weekend.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe a Jalen Johnson heard a report that, uh, it's out there that he's likely to enter the draft and he figured he's got to finally kick it into gear. Uh, I mean, the Arizona sun devils are a psychotic team. <laughs> I mean, uh, one week they look like they're, they're the premier team in the, uh, PAC 12 and then another week they're getting their uh, brains beaten by a team that they should be able to compete with. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I, I mean the secondary held Ayuk in, in check, uh, Blackman had a solid game. Javelin Guidry, an underrated uh, underclassman corner, who I think is a next-level prospect, also had a good game. Uh, and it was – although we didn't really preview it, it was a solid game for Eno Benjamin, uh, who had uh, 15 carries for 104 yards, really kind of broke out of his what, – what has been a funk uh, in the early part of the season. And we also reported on this podcast that, from what I'm hearing, Eno Benjamin very likely to enter, enter the draft, the running back from Arizona State.
0: Now, on the other side of the ball, on offense for Utah, Zach Moss was back in our lives. 25 carries, 99 yards, two touchdowns, set the Utah all-time rushing record on one of those touchdowns. Also had three receptions, including a 46-yarder. He hadn't caught a pass since August, so that's a positive sign there for Moss. But as always, he ran hard. He's tough to bring down on first contact. Great second-level burst on that touchdown where he set the record, just splitting defenders and getting into the open field. What have you seen from Moss since his return from injury, Tony?
1: Well, well, Moss, when he's uh, healthy, is a terrific uh, ball player that presents himself as a potential feature runner. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a feature runner at the next level. There are some who who believe he he is. I mean, he's graded anywhere from as high as a third round by NFL scouts to a late six-rounder. 5'9", 207 pounds. He plays fast. He plays tough. Shows the ability to create his yardage. The problem is, is with a guy like that is he's, he's often injured. I don't want to say he's always injured, but he's often injured. And especially when you're that type of running back or you're any or any type of running back, you can't be missing games because of injury on a relatively regular basis, which he has done since the end of the last season, that's going to hurt his draft stock. But you know what? He could end up being value in the last day of the draft.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you have a guy like him who has feature back talent, You need durability to go with that because if you're going to be touching the ball, say, 15 to 18 times, if not more, at the NFL level, you're going to get hit a lot. And if you're getting hurt in college, you're probably going to continue to get hurt in the NFL. We see it all the time. Very rarely do guys have injury-riddled college careers, go to the league, and end up staying consistently healthy. Could it happen with Moss? Sure. But you're never going to be able to get the most and harvest the most out of his talent if he's unable to stay on the field.
1: And he really hasn't had an injury riddled career. I mean, his injury started, you go back to his sophomore season, carried the ball 214 times for almost 1200 yards with 10 TDs. And he was having a productive season last year until late in the year when he fell in the bathtub or fell out of bed, whatever the heck that injury was when he hurt his knee. Uh, and it's just been recent, but, but it's been a lot. I think you want to also see him increase his pass uh, catching production. He's a solid pass catcher out of the backfield. They just don't throw to him too often. And, a guy like that is going to have to uh, show that he can catch the ball on a consistent basis.
0: Now we'll stay in the pac 12 here. And we have more receiver talk for you as USC rolled Arizona 41, 14 after back-to-back losses. Khalil Tate was bad enough in this game that he ended up getting benched. Didn't really matter either way towards the outcome. Looking at the USC wideouts though, both Michael Pittman jr. And Tyler Vaughns found the end zone. Jace Whitaker was matched up with neither of them. Mostly played safety lined up eight to 10 yards off the ball. But Pittman and Vaughn's had their way against Arizona's other cornerbacks. Pittman showed off his strength on a screen pass for a touchdown. Guy who's really tough to tackle with the ball in his hands. Obviously, we know about his contested ability. Vaughn's continued to get easy separation. Seven catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. That was his most yards in a game, though, in over a month. As expected with these guys in this matchup, though, they performed. Right, Tony?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you you mentioned Whitaker playing safety. That is primarily because of the speed factor or the lack of speed that he has. Uh, But he's a good ball player. A lot of ways uh, reminds me of Tristan Decoud. Uh, People may remember him. uh, Former Oregon State uh, player, was taken late in the draft in 2017 by the Houston Texans. Was on the Cowboys roster for a little bit this year. Don't know if he's still on the roster or what the situation is there. But Whitaker's the same type of player. Good size, solid ball skills. He's got it going on between the ears. But he just isn't fast. So it's a question of do you leave him out at cornerback and maybe may, maybe in dime packages where he could be a liability? Do you stick him inside at safety and make the use of his physicality and, and his ability to make plays facing the action? I thought Vaughn's played very well. Not a lot of yards, 73 receiving yards, but did have seven receptions. You know, we spoke about Vaughns before, and I continually hear that NFL scouts like him better than they like Michael Pittman. Because of his ability to separate, because of his ability to, you know, come free, because of his ability to rely more on than just beating down the opponent uh, to come away with the pass, which is what Michael Pittman usually does. Pittman had a solid game, like you said, four receptions, almost 70 yards, 17.3 yards per catch. Uh, There's going to be a place for him at the next level, and there's going to be a place for him in the draft. I just think it's going to be the uh, last day of the draft.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Deku and whether he was still in Dallas. He is still in Dallas. However, he's a member of the Dallas Renegades of the XFL. He was just picked maybe 10 days ago when the XFL had their draft. I think it was the second round I saw he was selected. So, yeah, Deku is still in Dallas, but not in the NFL.
1: Good for him. I hope it works out for him. I saw uh, there was one player uh, who was selected in the XFL draft. Uh, that actually declined (laughs) because he said he's making more as a uh, computer programmer, former Tennessee defensive end, whose name escapes me. Uh, but he declined the contract. He's like, heck, I'm not going to get my brains beat in when I can sit here and be a computer programmer and make the same amount of money. That was, uh, I didn't watch that draft. I really have no interest in that league. I mean, if it's on and I see some guys that I notice, I will watch, uh, but it is interesting. I think wasn't the draft like seventy-five rounds and they had ninety seconds each to to make the the pick. It was some something crazy like that.
0: And they had it split up too, where there was like a skill player portion of the draft and then there were other portions of the draft for each different position. And yeah, it's the ninety seconds thing, that's like straight out of fantasy football where you're on the clock, you have you know, a couple of seconds to make your pick and your draft's done for in an hour, hour and a half, and you go eat dinner or whatever you're going to do. So obviously we're used to seeing teams with 15 minutes, 10 minutes on the clock. Now here you have to really be prepared and really do your homework and pick in a minute and a half. And obviously that's going to prevent things like trades and stuff like that. But in the end, I think the XFL is just trying to do it differently. Than the NFL. And you know what? Hey, if it works out, maybe it does end up being a situation where some players play well and get a chance, kind of like they did from the AAF.
1: Well, I mean, they definitely do it differently. I wonder if the, those kickoffs are going to be the same when that first XFL uh, disaster uh, came around where they put the ball at the 50 yard line and the first guy that ran and got the ball, uh, uh, that, that was their possession.
0: It's like when we used to play Steal the Bacon in high school.
1: Well, we didn't play Steal the Bacon. We just played Kill the Ball Carrier in, in grammar school, nonetheless.
0: Uh, that, that was a different error. I don't know if uh, kill the ball carrier was really allowed when I was in school, Tony.
1: And I went to Catholic school all my life. So <laughs> that tells you uh, how lenient they were with the rules uh, at the Catholic school. I went to.
0: All right. We'll get to our week nine previews in just a minute here. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. Now, two episodes ago, we looked at Rhode Island's Aaron Parker and his teammate as well, Isaiah Coulter, two teammates at the wide receiver position. They had an FBS matchup against Virginia Tech. This weekend coming up, we have another small school receiver taking aim at a Power 5 team, and that's Liberty's Antonio Gandy-Gold. 43 catches, 877 yards, and five touchdowns this year. He'll be going up against Rutgers this week. He went over 100 yards in each of his games this year against Syracuse, Buffalo, and New Mexico. So he's no strangers to playing teams from Power Five conferences or at least more well-known teams than Liberty. Now he's going to face off against Damon Hayes and Malik Dixon in that Rutgers secondary. Both guys are kind of priority free agent type of players. Hayes is six foot one. Gandy Golden is six foot four. So while there is a size advantage there. It's not as large as he's probably used to getting. So that'll be an interesting matchup. What are you latching for, Tony?
1: Well, you want to see if Gandy Golden can continue the momentum that he's built all season. I, I think this is a guy that we're going to end up seeing uh, in the senior ball. Yeah, Rutgers has been, <laughs> we've mentioned this a couple times, really even coming in the season, Rutgers has been impossible to watch. I mean, they're just blown out of games. They're rarely in them. Damon Hayes entered the season. He was graded as a potential seventh rounder by scouts. I had him as a free agent. He He's basically indicative of the underachieving and the way Rutgers doesn't live up to uh, expectations. Was expected to be a potential late round pick. Has 17 tackles this year, two interceptions, and broken up four passes in seven games. The safety who I was high on, scouts did not have a, a great on Malik Dixon, really has not been a consistent starter this year. So it's an opportunity for Gandy Golden really to step up against a a major program that doesn't play like a major program and, uh, you know, assert his uh, next level potential or impress scouts one more time. I think what's going to happen with Gandy Golden is he'll likely go to the senior ball. It's going to come down to how fast he runs in the 40. We mentioned USC before and Michael Pittman. Gandy Golden is a similar type of player to a Michael Pittman. He's not as big, but he's one of those guys that rely on size and length to make receptions rather than uh, quickness and speed to uh, separate from from the defenders.
0: Now, this is apparently a wide receiver and defensive back show. We're going to stick here in the Big Ten, where Minnesota and Maryland face off. And Golden Gophers wide receiver Tyler Johnson is the player to watch. Tied for third in the conference with 39 receptions. Fourth overall in receiving yards. Actually slightly behind one of his teammates. He's only second on his own team. He's probably going to match up with Terps cornerback Tino Ellis, similar size to Johnson, who is a very technically sound receiver, but the athleticism is a bit questionable. There are a lot of people that do like Tyler Johnson, though. Maryland also has Antoine Brooks Jr. on the back end at safety, a guy you've mentioned in the same breath as Darnell Savage, who was a first-round pick last year. Now, you have him graded as an early day three player, but in the end, Maryland has talent on the back end here, and they might have the ability to quiet Johnson, who's only been held – under 70 yards receiving twice this season.
1: And they better quiet that whole Minnesota team because that Minnesota team, you know, after Ohio state looks like the, could potentially be uh, the best team in the big 10 surprising to a lot of people. You know, what I said about Antoine books, Brooks is, I think he's a more polished version of Darnell Savage, but he's not the same athlete 45 tackles this year in seven games one interceptions and three pass breakups. Tino Ellis has got the size. He came into the season graded as a uh, potential seventh round pick. People were expecting a big move up uh, draft boards if he had a good season. Really hasn't put it together. I believe that he's had some injury issues this year uh, in six games, just 13 uh, tackles and and two pass breakups. Uh, He's a guy who's probably going to end up at the Shrine game. So it's going to be a good matchup here, not only against uh, Tyler Johnson, but the other wide receiver, uh, Chris Altman-Bell who uh, is faster than Johnson. He's more of a big play threat. Doesn't have the same sort of size, but he's a guy who can sneak it downfield. The the, uh, redshirt sophomore, who I right now graded as a fourth round selection.
0: And I think Auburn Bell is taking kind of a backseat this year. He only has 13 receptions for Minnesota compared to, I believe it was 39 for Tyler Johnson, he's been third receiver mostly in that offense uh, behind Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Bateman's actually the team leader in receiving yards with 605. So it'll be interesting to see if a guy like Ottman Bell can get free without being kind of a focal point of the defense.
1: He has big playability, so it's a matter of him pulling it together. And I don't know if anybody saw it last week, but the, uh, there was a moment at the end of the game, of the Minnesota game. Who did they play last week? Do you remember?
0: Ooh, it's escaping me
1: right now. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but there was, there was a moment at the end of the game, they were up, uh, 28, nothing. And, uh, they brought the holder on and, and the holder is a four-time survivor, a four-time cancer survivor. It was a great story. I really, uh, they, oh, of course they, they pounded Rutgers last week. Uh, um, and they brought the, they brought the kid on. He was a walk on. He was a high school quarterback. He's a four-time, uh, survivor of cancer. It, it was a great story. Uh, highly recommend somebody, you know, if you got some extra time, it'll be worth the three or four minutes that you look into the story and see what happened with this kid.
0: Now, for our final preview this week, we'll head away from the perimeter for a fresh look here, and we'll go into the trenches to the AAC, where East Carolina faces South Florida. Now, the Pirates' top prospect is left tackle Deanti Smith. He'll be tested against Greg Reeves, who has 46 tackles this season, five and a half of them for loss, and three sacks. At one time, Reeves was a third-rounder, On your board, Tony, before he had a rough 2018 season last year, had only a half sack. He's bounced back somewhat this year. And while Smith likely projects to guard at the NFL level, he does move well and could hold his own here. Either way, it should be a pretty fun matchup.
1: Yeah, I think Smith absolutely projects to guard. The thing is this is, you know, Dante Smith, an offensive lineman from East Carolina, a guy who's a junior for a program that's, you know, been pretty much down, He was given a six-round grade by some scouts coming into the year. So scouts already have him on on their radar. And and like you said, you know, he does a good job moving his feet. He shows some mobility. He's a terrific pass blocker, which he's going to have to be against Greg Reeves because Greg Reeves, the reason that he kind of fell off the radar during the 2018 season was – he was asked to play more of a traditional linebacker spot. If you watched him early in his career, he was coming out of a three point stance. He was lining up over tackle, and he was basically sent up the field as a blitzer, which is what he's been asked to do this year. Or he's going back to doing that this year, and he's responded really well. Seven games, he's got 46 uh, tackles, five and a half uh, tackles for loss, three sacks, and another pair of quarterback hurries. So Greg Reeves is the type of guy. I had him graded as a third-round pick off of his sophomore film because I saw flashes of brilliance when he was asked to play a more traditional linebacker role. He really struggled last year, starting to get back in the groove as they're using him in their front four, both, again, out of a three-point stance and standing over tackle. So I don't know that Reeves is going to get drafted. Scouts really basically ignored him and dismissed him coming into the season. I could absolutely see him playing in the Shrine game. Because uh, the Shrine game, which is played in St. Pete, they like to invite uh, you know some of those indiscreet uh, South Florida guys. And I, I think Reeves absolutely fits that mold. So I, I would be surprised if he's healthy, if he's not playing in the Shrine game. Uh, but again, he's, he's got to keep an eye on. Doesn't get drafted uh, next year. Will absolutely be signed as a priority free agent. And one of those situational pass rushers, a guy who could also play special teams. He's got the athleticism. He's got the explosion. Going to be a good matchup against Deontay Smith. We'll see if Smith can handle the speed rush of Reeves. Uh, It's basically strength against strength, the mobility and agility of Deontay Smith against the speed edge rushing of Greg Reeves.
0: and It's interesting to see a guy like Reeves have a good sophomore season, fall off when he's asked to play more off the ball, But he still had good tackle numbers. And not that that is the end-all, be-all. Obviously, not all tackles are created equal. And the impact he was making was not what he's made this year. But he's been able to keep those tackle numbers up. So he's making plays outside of being a pass rusher. He's making plays elsewhere on the field as well, in addition to getting back on track off the edge. So it's really intriguing to watch him kind of bounce back and see what he's able to do here. If he's able to really put on a show against a guy like D'Anti Smith, then maybe a Shrine Game invite. And a good performance during that week of practice in St. Pete leads to good things for him in the draft.
1: Yeah. And uh, just to give you an idea, 2017, 51 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, four sacks, and three pass defenses. Now he had 89 tackles last year, but not as many highlight plays, only six and a half tackles for loss, uh, a half a sack. Uh, which is what I meant when he was, when he was asked to go uh, play a more traditional uh, linebacker role. He did have a sack against Pert of uh, UConn, when, uh, a sack and a tackle for loss back in the beginning of uh, October when South Florida played UConn, uh, a guy we've spoken about uh, a couple times on this uh, podcast, Pert, although he's a right tackle at UConn, and he primarily plays over the left tackle.
0: And that's it for the 92nd episode of the draft analyst presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review and feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with another episode to go over the weekend's action. And as always, we'll take our usual look ahead to the weekend's top matchups as the college football season rolls on with about a month and a half to go until conference championship week. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night.